Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, um, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and then through 11, 1. The word of God speaks to us. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market, in the meat market, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. This is God's word to us. Thank you so much, Mona. Hey, good morning. It's good. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to have you guys with us. If we've not met, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors here. Uh, thanks again for being with us today. Hey, a couple of things. One of the reasons why we stand when we read God's Word is not just out of honor for the Word of God. It is partly because of that. We want to honor the Word of God, but it's also a symbolic thing for us where we're standing to say we want to be people who stand underneath the Word of God. We're standing because we want our lives to be shaped on His Word. We want our vision of the good life, our understanding of right and wrong, our philosophy of how we live, all of it, to be shaped on his word. And so uh, that's why we do that each week. If, if you're here today and you're not sure what you believe, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not sure what you think about church or uh, the claims of scripture, I just want to say we are so glad that you're here. We're honored by your presence. You don't have to believe what we believe. Uh, we want you around. We want you to ask good questions. We want you to really be around and wrestle with some of these claims. So thanks for being here today. Uh, man, I'm particularly excited about today's sermon because nobody dies in the text that we're looking at today. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, you don't know what I'm talking about, but last week was essentially sitting in a seminary course taught by the Apostle Paul in which he shows all the ways that Jesus killed people in the Old Testament. Uh, no one dies in this text, so it's a really good one. It's about food sacrifice to idols. I know you can't wait. Uh, for that. Next week is going to be about head coverings. So, man, this is just going to be great, right? Uh, invite a friend next week when we talk about head coverings. It'll be, don't want to miss it. Um, I actually am excited about today and next week, believe it or not. So with that in mind, I'd love for you to turn to this text, 1 Corinthians 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair somewhere underneath you. 
Uh, And while you're turning there, let me take a second and pray for us. Father, thank you for the gift that it is to gather with you, to sit under the word, to be shaped by you today. God, thank you for what we just got to witness, dead hearts coming to life, uh, people walking out of their spiritual graves, uh, being made alive in Christ. And I, I pray for my friends that are here today that are, that are not yet alive in Christ. Would you speak to them, Holy Spirit? Would you cause their heart to be stirred for you, give them hunger and desire and love for you, and reveal your great love for them? And today we pray that you would shape us as followers of Jesus, help us understand our Christian liberty, help us understand our Christian freedom, give us vision to be mature followers of Jesus. So meet us today by your word, we pray these things in your name, amen. All right, I need some crowd participation on this one. Uh, The following is a list of 15 different actions that some Christians are going to say are sinful. And other Christians are going to say they are not sinful. And what I want you to do is not out loud, because that would be awkward for you and for us, but just in the privacy of your own mind, I want you to count up how many you would say, yep, definitely sinful, definitely sinful, definitely sinful, right? All right, so here we go. Number one, making out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? If you're married, then it's not wrong, right? We know for sure, as long as you're not talking about an additional boyfriend or girlfriend. But what if you're not? Uh, Number two, watching R-rated movies. Number three, drinking alcohol. Number four, using Tinder. Is that still a thing? It's still a thing, right? Uh, Number five, cussing. Number six, getting a tattoo. None of the pastors at this church have tattoos. Number seven, (laughs) attending a Halloween party. Number eight, using social media. Number nine, going out to a club. I honestly don't know if people still do that. I'm being for real. I don't know that that is still a thing, but if that's a thing, is it wrong? Uh, Number 10, driving five miles an hour over the speed limit. Number 11, skipping church to attend a sporting event. Number 12, playing poker for money. Number 13, sending your kids to public school. Number 14, Spending money on non-essential luxury items. Number 15, playing video games that contain violence. And bonus, allowing your kids to do any of the above items. So here's how you interpret your score. You ready? If, if you looked at that list and you said yes to 10 or more of these items, then congratulations, you are definitely a legalist. We're glad that you're here. If you said no to five or less, you're not even a Christian. I'm just kidding, okay? I, that was a joke. Uh, can you joke about stuff like that in church? I, don't, I honestly don't know if you can, but that was a joke. I'm not calling into question your eternal salvation or anything like that. But here's the point. A lot of us in the room, you look at a list like that, a lot of us go, well, it depends. It depends. This is a gray area. I would need a little bit more information to give a clear yes or no on these things. It depends on many of those, right? Today, we're talking about how do we navigate the various Christian freedoms and liberties that you and I have uh, within uh, being followers of Jesus. How do we navigate the gray areas of Christianity? That's what we're talking about today. Now, let me just remind you briefly of the context so that you can understand Paul's argument here, because it really matters. In chapter 8, Paul started to talk about this practice in Corinth where the Christians were reverting back to pagan practices, and they were going back into pagan temples. They were eating meat sacrificed to pagan gods 
in the context of pagan temples. And they were making a case for this, saying it's not wrong to do this. We have the right to do it. We have the freedom to live this way. And Paul says, you need to lay your rights down out of love and concern for your brothers and sisters. How are they interpreting you going to pagan temples and eating meat inside of these temples that has been sacrificed to the worship of the gods? You need to lay down your rights for the love of your brothers or your sisters. Then in chapter 9, Paul says, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. And he goes on this tirade showing us a defense that he actually has a right to get paid as a pastor. He has a right to earn a paycheck by doing the ministry that he's doing. And that is taught clearly in human analogies and in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself said so. And yet Paul turns and he says, but I've not accessed that right. I actually laid down the right of getting paid out of love and concern for you. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. And then in chapter 10, the argument shifts entirely to where Paul's no longer saying, hey, you need to lay down your rights out of love for your brothers and sisters. Chapter 10, last week, he said, you need to lay down your sin out of love for Jesus. And he makes the case that going into a pagan temple, eating meat sacrificed to pagan gods is actually inherently wrong full stop. It's wrong because what's happening there is that while these Christians are making excuses that, oh, this isn't really idolatry, they're actually participating in the worship of these false gods. On Sundays, they're coming and they're eating at the table of the Lord, but on Monday, they're eating at the table of demons, Paul says. And then he goes through the Old Testament and he says, hey, listen, it doesn't matter how many spiritual experiences you've had. It doesn't matter how many blessings you've received. It doesn't matter how many good things from God that you've felt and encountered if your present current reality is disconnected from Jesus. That's what he talked about last week. So here's what's really fascinating. He's been going on a three-chapter uh, argument about meat sacrificed to idols in the context of pagan temples. And we finally get the very clear answer from Paul, don't do it. It's wrong, full stop. It's, it's against what Christians should be doing in the world. Now, that clarity on that issue raises all kinds of fuzziness and blurriness on other issues. For example, what about meat that has been sacrificed to idols that isn't in the context of a pagan temple? What about meat that's been sacrificed to idols that's in the marketplace? Now, here's why that would even be a question if you lived in the first century in the Roman city of Corinth, because chances are a good portion, maybe the majority of the meat that you would access in the meat market, just going to the grocery store, the majority of the meat that you would access was butchered by pagan priests and sacrificed to the worship of pagan gods and then sold in the meat market. Um, meat did not come like it does in our culture where it's shrink-wrapped in plastic, it's clearly labeled, this was grass-fed, uh, this was, you know, free-range, the emotional status of the animal was fill-in-the-blank. Like, you, you can get that now, like, was this animal wildly depressed or super happy when it died? We, you know, all that's labeled for us today, but in, in the first century, that was not the case. You didn't know anything about the meat, didn't know where it came from, didn't know how it was handled. Was this sacrificed in the worship of the gods or not? Probably, but we don't know. So then, what do we do then? Is Paul literally saying that to be a Christian in Corinth, you have to become a vegetarian and not eat meat ever? How do we think about that area, that gray area of meat sacrificed to idols in the market? Now, let me pause. I know that a lot of you are like, who cares, right? Who cares? I don't live in Corinth in the first century. The meat that I buy at Crest or Walmart or Target, if you like to overpay for meat or wherever it is that you get your, your meat, 
we We don't have the same issue that they had. So how does this passage relate to us? It feels like a million miles away. And yet what Paul is saying here is really significant because he's going to offer us a grid, a vision for the gray areas within Christianity, how we understand our Christian liberties and our freedoms on issues that are not plainly wrong or plainly right, right? So there are clearly things that are wrong. Sleeping with someone that you're not married to, wrong. Uh, Getting drunk, wrong. Uh, Eating meat sacrificed to pagan gods in the context of a pagan temple, wrong. But what about the gray areas? That's what we're talking about today. So with that in mind, five things I want you to see briefly. Let's jump in. Look at verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Here's the first thing that I want you to see. Love over rights. Love over rights. Now, when Paul says this phrase, all things are lawful, you'll notice it in the ESV translation that we use. Uh, It's in quotes. And that's because Paul is quoting a mantra that was often said in Corinth. This was a mantra that shows up now four times. Twice Paul mentions this mantra uh, said by the Corinthians in chapter 6. And then now two more times here in chapter 10, Paul is saying this mantra that was very common in Corinth where they would constantly say it back to Paul. Well, we've got freedom in Christ. All things are permissible. All things are lawful. We can do what we want in the name of grace. Jesus has died for us. He's forgiven us of our sins. I can live and do as I please. Right, Paul? Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Not all things build up. The NIV actually has a really helpful translation of this verse. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And what I want you to look at here is the difference, the chasm between verse 23 and verse 24. Because both of these verses represent two paradigms, two ways to live. Verse 23 is the Corinthian mantra. I have the right to do anything. So the the, the driving question is, what is it that I want? What is it that I want? That's the most important question that both our culture today is asking and that Corinth was asking at the time. What is it that I want? But friends, verse 24 introduces us to a question that Christ would have us ask. This is the question that gets posed as we follow Jesus in Christianity. Here's the Christian mantra. Let no one seek his or her own good, but the good of their neighbor. So in other words, here's the question. What does love require of me here? What does love require of me here? If you're uh, uh, kind of getting swept into Corinthian culture, the question you're asking is, what is it that I want? But as you start to follow Jesus, the question that Paul wants you to start asking is, what does love require of me here? Now, when it comes to Christian liberty, there are three levels, Christian freedoms, there are three levels of maturity that you can sense based on the questions that you ask. And these are all good questions, but they get better. So here's the first question, and it's a good question. Level one is, is this right or is this wrong? We have to ask that as followers of Jesus. We get our answer not from what mom and dad told me or from what the church that I grew up in told me or from what I think in my own heart or head, but what Scripture says. This is how we understand what is right and what is wrong. Not what culture says, not what my heart says, not what my mind says, because my heart and mind will say whatever I want them to say based on what I desire most. 
So this is actually where we go for, is this right or is this wrong? And that's a really good question. That is the basic question that all of us need to ask as Christians. But there's a better question to ask. Level two in maturity is, who am I becoming as I engage this thing? Who am I becoming? So after you ask the question, is this right or is this wrong, you have to go a level deeper and say, who is it that I am becoming when I do this? Now, here's, that's, a, that's a better question, but here's the best question. The best question, the deepest, most mature question that you and I could ask after is this right or is this wrong, after who am I becoming, is what does love demand of me here? What's the most loving thing for God and neighbor here? So take drinking 37 cups of coffee a day. Is that right or is that wrong? Well, if you're looking for a chapter and verse, you're going to struggle to find a chapter and verse that tells you, thou shalt not drink 27 cups of coffee a day, right? But you can ask the question, who am I becoming when I engage that? Well, you're becoming someone who's burning out your kidneys and your adrenal glands are totally drying up and that's probably not good. And, and then what does love require of me here? You're probably drinking so much coffee that you have nothing left in the emotional tank to serve those around you. You're, you're fried at the end of the day because of your overconsumption of caffeine, right? You, you can take it and it starts to help you make sense of these different gray areas or take issues of alcohol or take issues of tender, for example. Uh, is this right or is this wrong? Well, chapter and verse gonna be a little bit more difficult to test that. Who am I becoming? when I swipe right or swipe left? What is that doing to my soul? What is that doing to my vision of humanity? What is that doing to my relationships and how I see the world? Is this what love demands of me or what's the most loving thing for me to do? So this is what Paul is driving at here. And this is the the most important framework that he wants to apply in all areas of Christian freedom and liberty. Love over rights. So friends, if we're gonna be followers of Jesus, we have to emphasize rights less and emphasize, emphasize love for God and neighbor so much more. Amen? That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Freedom over legalism. So love over rights, freedom over legalism. Look at verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For, and he quotes Psalm 24:1, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, this is not what you expect Paul to do, is it? Paul has just emphasized the need for us to do what's beneficial and good and loving for God and neighbor. He's emphasizing love over rights, and you expect him to give some analogies now of ways that you and I can lay down our rights for the good of other people. Instead, what he does is fascinating. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to actually embrace freedom over legalism. Paul says, hey, when you're in the meat market and you're buying meat, don't even ask the question as to the nature of where this food came. Don't say, is this idol free? Is this IF, this meat IF right here? Don't ask that question. Just buy the meat and eat the meat because God actually made the meat. He doesn't care about the meat. He actually made it as a good gift to humanity. You should enjoy this meat. You should enjoy eating this good food. What Paul is not saying, and this is important for you to get, he's not saying to, uh, uh, operate under the paradigm of ignorance is bliss. You know, la, 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 la. If I don't hear that it was bad, then it doesn't matter that it was bad and I can eat it. Any- That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying the food is fine. In fact, I love what Andrew Wilson says here about this. He says, Paul wants to clarify that the problem with idol food is the idol rather than the food. The context 
rather than the content. And this is really important, friends, because often what happens is that good gifts that God has given get twisted or disordered or misused. And what we love to do, just to simplify our life, is to toss out the good gift so that way we don't run the risk of accidentally sinning and turning this good gift into an idol. And I would actually say that's an unhelpful approach. If we try to destroy every good gift that's been misused, we're gonna destroy marriage, we're gonna destroy all types of food, we're gonna destroy any, any sort of gift that God has given because we love to take the good gifts that God has given and run all of them. So the mature response is to learn how to receive and enjoy the freedom that God has given us around the good, right, proper gifts that he's given. Does that make sense? And this is, if you go, well, that's, you're blowing it out of proportion that we would, you know, do away with marriage and do away with food just to avoid, you know, sinning in these ways. No, look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, de- deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. What is the teaching of demons? Well, it's not what you think. He says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Paul's going to say, actually, when you throw out marriage as a gift and you throw out food and drink as a gift, that's actually in line with the teaching of demons, not mature Christianity. So how do we understand it? Well, the question we ask is, if the Bible says this is wrong, either explicitly or implicitly, it's wrong, full stop. It doesn't matter what you think or I think or what culture says, it is wrong. If the Bible doesn't necessarily say it's wrong, explicitly or implicitly, but in my conscience, I feel like it's wrong, then it's wrong because at that point I'm sinning against my conscience. But friends, if the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, either explicitly or implicitly, and if your conscience doesn't also say it's wrong, it's not wrong. It's actually free for you to enjoy and engage. And here's what I love about this. Paul hates legalism. He, he hates sin, to be sure, but he also hates when people create extra laws and barriers as if like we needed more laws as the people of God because we're so good at keeping them anyway. And they create extra barriers so that they can feel superior about themselves before God. Paul hates that. Friends, here's the reality. God made the world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And God made a world with Adam and Eve in it, and he created a world of yeses for Adam and Eve and only one no. And that tells you something about our Father's heart for us. He's not creating barriers for, to, to destroy pleasure and joy and happiness. He made taste buds. Praise be to God for taste buds. And he made cows taste like beef, not sawdust. Praise be to God for beef. And he made great drinks like IPAs and scotch and coffee and hot chocolate and whatever it is that you like. He made all these amazing gifts and he made taste buds for you and I to enjoy these amazing gifts. And if you can do it, if it's not explicitly or implicitly wrong in scripture, and if your conscience doesn't say it's wrong, stop saying it's wrong. It's actually good. It's a gift. You should learn to enjoy it. Do you have a theology for enjoying the good gifts that God has given you? Maybe you have a theology of all the things that you don't do. Do you have a theology for the things that you do 
for the enjoyment of God. I love this quote from Charles Simeon. He says, there are but two lessons for Christians to learn. The one is to enjoy God in everything. The other is to enjoy everything in God. Man, when you do that, you're a person full of joy. You know the people that are like, I'm trying to enjoy God in everything, right? And then that's what they always sound like to me. And then, and then on the other side are the people that are like, I'm trying to learn how to enjoy everything in God too. Like, I want to enjoy God and everything, but I want to enjoy everything in light of who he is and what he's done and his generosity and his grace. What a free way to live. So, love over rights, freedom over legalism. Number three, mission over nitpickiness. Mission over nitpickiness. Look at what he says in verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Sound familiar? It's the same paradigm if you're in the meat market as if you're in the house of an unbeliever. They invite you over for dinner. They say, hey, come to my house. Paul is saying, if that unbeliever invites you over for dinner and you want to go, which by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'd be like, yeah, I'm definitely going to go. And then they cook you this amazing meal. Paul is saying, don't offend the host by asking, where, where did this meat come from? Was this sacrifice to an idol or not? You're adding an unhelpful barrier and hindrance between yourself and that person and Christianity and Jesus, and you're risking offending your host. The food is fine. Don't even ask questions about the food. Just eat whatever they set before you. Now, this is really applicable. I was talking to a friend of mine in Mumbai, India, and we were talking about this text, and he was saying, hey, Andrew, what do I do? Because this is a real issue for me. I'm invited to unbelieving homes all the time. And sometimes the meals that we're partaking in potentially are pagan festivals that all over India are being celebrated. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's food that was dedicated to a specific God. Do I eat this or do I not? Like this is a directly applicable text for most of uh, different parts of the world like Cambodia or Thailand or India or all over different parts of the world. This is a real issue. We have a little bit of a harder time adapting it and understanding it for our context. But here's the heart of what I think Paul is trying to say. Hey, don't put unhelpful barriers between you and your unbelieving host. Just for the sake of mission, stop being so nitpicky. Let me give you a story real quickly on an example of this gone poorly. I was talking to a girl several years ago, a really sweet girl that served overseas in Western Europe as a missionary. And they were invited to some friends' homes for, for dinner. And they'd been praying for these friends. They'd been engaging these friends with the good news of Jesus. So finally, they, the friends invite them over for dinner. They cook them a great meal. They eat together. And after dinner, they go into the parlor and they pour everybody an alcoholic beverage to enjoy together. This was just the custom that everybody in this part of Western Europe did. It's no big deal. This is just how you end a good meal. They're not getting drunk. They're not, you know, sinning with drinking alcohol. They're just enjoying this alcoholic beverage. And the missionaries were a part of a sending agency that they had to essentially agree to not drink alcohol because the sending agency said it's just wrong altogether. It's a, it's a gift gone wrong, so it's all wrong. We can't do it at all. So the missionaries then had to say, thank you for pouring us this alcoholic beverage. We can't partake of it because... And then it led to this really awkward conversation. Yeah, well, we're missionaries. And, you know, we're here to like tell you the good news of Jesus. And we're here to like meet you on your turf. And that's why we can't drink. The, you know, and it, you see how it was getting more awkward and more awkward and more awkward because they said no to something that, according to Paul, they should have just taken and enjoyed. Now, 
they did the right thing because they said to their sinning agency that they wouldn't drink alcohol. So they actually honored their sinning agency by doing the right thing. But the sinning agency did the wrong thing by putting unnecessary barriers between them and other people that they're trying to reach with the gospel. That's an example of this going wrong. What Paul is saying is, hey, stop being so weird. Stop being so nitpicky. If it's not clearly taught as wrong in Scripture, and if it's not wrong in your conscience, then you don't need to ask any more questions. Just eat whatever is set in front of you. So here's the diagnostic question for you and I to wrestle with. Have we erected weird extra-biblical barriers that are getting in the way of mission? Are there preferences that I could lay down for the sake of mission? Are there non-sinful activities that I could take up for the sake of mission? Where is my extra-biblical nitpickiness functioning as a hindrance with my friends who are far from Jesus and far from the gospel? These are things that Paul wants us to wrestle with. And that leads me to the fourth thing that I want you to see, high road over low road, all right? So love over rights, freedom over legalism, mission over nitpickiness, high road over low road. Look at verse 28. But if someone says to you, now remember, this is the same context, an unbeliever invites you into their home, they cook you a meal. If someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Now notice what he says. This is very important. He says, I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? This is where it becomes a little bit more fuzzy. If you're eating meat sacrificed to idols in a pagan temple, Paul says, don't do it. It's wrong. It's off limits. If you're eating meat in the marketplace, Paul very simply says, do it. It's not wrong. It's fine. You can do that. If you're in the home of an unbeliever and they offer you this meat that was sacrificed to an idol, it gets a little bit more complicated as to what you do. If they don't tell you anything about it, then just eat the food and go about your day. But if that unbelieving host or if another unbeliever that's present in that room out of concern and love for you and your faith says, hey, just heads up, I think this meat was sacrificed to an idol and I don't think that you guys do that, so just a heads up on that. If they do that out of concern for you, Paul is saying, then don't eat the meat. Don't eat the meat. Abstain, even though you have the right. It's not wrong to do. It's completely fine. You're not worshiping a pagan idol by doing it, but what you're doing is you're taking the high road for the sake of this unbeliever and their own conscience. And here's what Paul is driving at here. He's saying, listen, I don't want to do anything to erect barriers between me and someone who isn't a follower of Jesus. And even if it's fine for me to do it, even if biblically I've got the freedom and the right to do it, but it's creating a problem among my unbelieving friends, Paul is saying, then just abstain, lay down your rights, don't do it, right? If an unbeliever is gonna be scandalized by your behavior that they think a Christian should be engaging in, even if you've got the freedom, don't do it. Let me give you an example of this, again, gone wrong. Uh, I was talking to uh, a sweet couple in our church several months ago, and they were uh, talking about some problems that they were having in their community group. I said, yeah, we're really struggling. And I said, well, tell me about that. What, what's, why, is, why is your community group such a problem? And they said, well, we keep trying to invite our non-Christian friends, but every time we do, two things keep happening again and again. All we do is we talk about politics, and everybody cusses all the time. And I was like, great. If I could narrow down two things that I want frontline community groups to be known about... 
it's these two things, like talking about politics and cussing all the time. Let's just put that on our sign. Welcome to Frontline Church. We talk about politics all the time and we cuss a lot, you know? No, that's not what I want our community groups to be known for. Are you kidding me? So we begin to work through their issues. And here's the thing. Is it right or wrong to talk about your political perspective with your friends or at community group? It's not wrong, right? There's no chapter and verse. You have the freedom to do it. Um, Is it right or wrong to cuss? I'm not going to answer that question. I'm already in hot enough water as it is with 1 Corinthians. I'll let you figure that out on your own. There are other pastors in our church that you can ask. I'm not taking any further questions. Thank you very much, right? So my point is this. You may have the freedom to do something, but if even unbelievers are scandalized by your behavior, saying, you're just like us, that's not a win missionally. That's not a win missionally. It's not like, hey, if I can just convince my non-Christian friends that I'm normal and I'm just like them, then that's the biggest win. No, actually, if anything, we need to show our unbelieving friends, hey, we're, we're not like you. We follow a very different paradigm, a very different vision. We live in a totally different ethic. It's the ethic of Jesus and his kingdom, not the ethic of our culture and this world. And so this is what Paul is driving at is, hey, if any unbeliever is scandalized by your behavior, don't do it. He's not really worried for like the person who's been in church for years and years and knows what they think about everything. And I saw you doing that and that really bothers me. Well, if you're not doing anything sinful, it doesn't really matter what that person thinks. Paul's not concerned with the believer who's following Jesus and mature and knows what they think about everything. But he is concerned that we might scandalize unbelievers by things that they don't even think that we do. Does that make sense? And that leads to the last thing I want you to see. God's glory over my freedom. God's glory over my freedom. Look at what he says in verse 31. So, this is his summarization to his entire three-long chapter tangent about idol food. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, by that he means not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. When Paul says, I try to please everyone in everything I do, Paul is not saying, I never want to offend anybody. In fact, if you read through 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 4, Paul is going to say our life is an offense to our world, that Christians are the scum of the earth, we're the refuse of all things, that people in our culture, if we're doing it right, most likely will look at Christians and judge us and think ill of us and look down on us, right, because of our positions that they are offended by. So Paul's not saying, I try to, you know, navigate and do the matrix backbend around all the difficult questions and live just like them so that I'm never offending or bothering anybody. That's not what he means. What he's saying is, I would way rather bend myself and become all things to all people for the sake of mission, not to put any barriers in the way of me and Jesus. And this is an incredibly simple summarization of what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, friends, if you eat, if you choose to eat and drink, praise God eat and drink and do it with a full heart. Do it with assurance that you're not sinning. Do it and enjoy it and praise God for it and do it for his glory and make much of Jesus through it. If you decide to abstain and you don't eat and you don't drink, praise God for it and do it to his glory and do it to make much of him. It really doesn't matter whether you eat or drink. 
do all to the glory of God, no matter what you do. And this is Paul's driving uh, vision for all of life. This is why Paul, uh, he cares about the glory of God more than his reputation. He cares about the glory of God more than marriage, more than having children. He cares about the glory of God more than his rights to earn wages for his work. And here he cares more about the glory of God than even eating and drinking. It is his greatest paradigm. I just want to live in a way that makes much of Jesus. Friends, this is what you and I are being invited into. When it comes to the gray areas of our life, when it comes to those things that are not clearly said as wrong in Scripture, either explicitly or implicitly, and our conscience is free to do so, these are the five things that we can use to help us think through it. Love over rights, freedom over legalism, mission over nitpickiness, high road over low road, God's glory over my freedom. I want to invite you, would you stand with me? I love the way that Paul ends this. He says, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here's what being a Christian looks like in the day-to-day. It's again coming back to the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and increasingly becoming more and more like him through his grace. That actually Jesus is God and had every right to stay in heaven had every right to be worshipped by a myriad of angels, to never experience anything uncomfortable or hard or painful because he's God. He's holy. He's good. He, he had the right to stay in heaven. And yet, he laid down his rights. He took off his crown. He set aside. He stepped off of his throne. He actually even um, laid aside, his, human, laid aside his, his deity. He didn't cease to be God, but he became one of us. He took on our humanity fully. He said, I'm not going to access all these things that I have the right to as God. I'm going to live as one of you. Though he was God, he lived fully as a human being. And then he humbled himself even further, and he went to a cross. And on the cross, he had the right to put us there and to make us pay for our sin, but he laid his rights down, and he took our sin in our place. On the cross, his body was broken for us and his blood was shed so that you and I could be forgiven and made whole and given a new identity and be adopted into his family. So friends, here's what I want you to realize. We serve a Jesus who laid his rights down. Paul was enamored with that Jesus. And Paul, the more he was enamored with that Jesus, that's, what, that's how he lived. That shaped his behavior. And friends, you and I are called to imitate Paul as he imitates Jesus. So we come to this meal today and we're remembering that we serve a God who laid down his rights. How can we be Americans? How can we be Christians who cling to our rights when actually we serve a Jesus who freely gave them up for our benefit? May we become people who love God and love neighbors so much that we'll lay our rights down, that we'll bend, we'll be flexible, that we'll actually uh, you know, do anything we can, inconvenience ourselves to not scandalize unbelievers, to not lay barriers in front of them, but to actually offer them the good news of Jesus and the gospel. So today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come and receive this meal by faith through his grace. You're getting shaped in this meal. You're getting help from God today to live this way. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being here. We want to ask you to continue to engage community with us. As you see us live, you're going to realize we're not perfect. Um, We're far from it, but we really do believe what we're preaching. And whenever you spot inconsistencies in our life based on what we're saying, we we invite you to speak into us. We invite you to correct us. We invite you to show us where we're inconsistent with our profession of faith versus what scripture says. 
So we love that you're here. We're gonna ask you not to take this meal today because this is a meal for baptized followers of Jesus only. It's a meal of faith. It's a meal for people who are repenting and trusting Jesus. If that's not your story, then this meal is not gonna help you. So we wanna invite you actually to come up and receive prayer, ask questions, get in community, but don't take the meal. Followers of Jesus, when you're ready, get in groups today and let's let this shape our vision of those gray areas in our Christian life. You can come and receive this when you're ready.